To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome, everyone, to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know the voice. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me today, as always, is the man who keeps it in motion, Mr. Don Moore. Hello, everybody. And we have a very special guest joining us. Everyone say hello to Jamie Ramos. Hi, guys. Hi, people. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Jamie, you've got this awesome book going on. Uh, It's... uh, fascinating when we got the when we got the artwork started looking at it it's called john heller the liberator tell us a little bit about this what what is this book all about it's about human trafficking uh john heller is a government operative uh who focuses in on freeing people who have been enslaved uh by drug dealers Bob, or even the church or whoever and basically his motivation is to free those people and to guide them to shelters and other government agencies that can help them uh, he takes a very dim view of people who do this because it affects him personally uh, so the book is action packed lots of blam blam and uh, I actually have a contact who is a government operator who can substantiate a lot of the uh, plot lines that I do. Really? Holy smokes. Yeah. So you're, you're using some real-world information in the writing of this, then? Definitely. And people would be surprised at how these... Um, human traffickers work they even have locations right in the middle of suburbs where they've got slaves sitting in pods doing telemarketing Uh, they will use them however they they can they'll use them to move drugs they'll use them to telemarket they'll use them to sell things sell their bodies whatever uh, the traffickers need or want done so I'm curious what what drew you to write a comic book very exclusively in regards to human trafficking? Is this something that you or your family has dealt with? Uh, what, what's the draw to bring the attention to this? Yeah, I've actually had experience in that area. I won't go very deep into my story, but my family has been affected by it. And I lost somebody very close to me because of it. And I know government uh, operators, and one of my friends is a uh, state trooper uh, who's uh, involved in SWAT. He was a SWAT team commander. And, you know, I, I, my wife used to work in children's uh, agency for the state, and so she's seen it. She's actually a pretty much an expert when it comes to, to human trafficking. And there's just so much about it 
that's out there that we are not taking care of as a society. It's a real underbelly, and it's right here in America. This is something that, and it's on the news a lot, and I've always heard about, but it's like an invisible layer because I, I'm told of it. You know, I, I, I'm, I know I'm aware of it. I know it's there, but it's not. You know, I'm, and when you're talking about they have pods in, in suburbs, that's unnerving. But yeah, I, it's something that they're... It seems to be like it's brought up a lot more and talked about a lot more now, but I think that's a hard thing to to combat. Uh, it definitely is. But if you go to a... Um, any any welfare area or any uh, women's shelters and you talk to the survivors there, they will tell you that 90% of the people that are there are survivors of human trafficking. Well, there's been stories in the news about, what was it, the three, three girls that grew up under, they were um, hidden in a basement. You know, they grew up that way. Um, like I said, it's it's current events that you kind of hear about, but now it's it's coming more to the forefront. But again, I it's still cloak and dagger. People tell you and make you aware of it, but like I said, it's not something. It doesn't seem like anybody's got their finger on it too much, you know. Yeah, it 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 definitely needs more awareness. Uh, for sure um, and we need more government oversight concerning how to take care of it uh, you also have to realize a lot of this trafficking starts in other countries and ends up in our country so it's not just us but it, it's the world and in other countries it's a lot more prevalent it's out in the open um, you just you have to really look deeply at it. I wish there was more uh, awareness, and I wish the government cared about it more. Uh, unfortunately, we live in times where there's there's so many issues going on in our society uh, that they don't focus on just one thing. But uh, if I can help reduce that amount in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to do it. Right. Um that is one thing if you if you start telling making people aware through um entertainment you know television shows movies comic books novels it kind of prepares people for it you know it's not it's already in their mind that they're aware of it and understand it and they're more accepting to the information uh one thing i'm interested in it's awesome when you're talking about how the person comes in it's action adventure but what I found interesting was once he does it, he sets people up with government agencies and things to help them afterwards. And that's something that's not always discussed. You always see the protagonist save somebody, and then the story ends there. So it sounds to me like you're already setting up, explaining how these people pick up their lives and move on. I'd, I'd like to show a hero who can do the wet work and still cares about the people involved. Uh, a friend of mine told me that 
the worst nightmares he's had in that job is the people that he couldn't save. Yeah. And that bugged him the worst. So I want to see a hero who can actually go in with oversight, take out the bad guys, free the people, and make sure they get to where they need to be and they can start their lives over. He actually cares. He actually takes uh, drug money and drops it up off at the shelters so they can use it. So he repurposes things and and does it that way. And, that, and that's the way it should be. Right. Uh, I love the Punisher, but the difference between <clears throat> these characters is the Punisher only focuses on the mob and he couldn't care less about the people he's supposedly helping. He just wants to get his vengeance and yeah. it's not a universal harmony. Uh, but with the Liberator, it's saying that we can all work in harmony and we can all be part of the, the solution, but we just have to try. He follows through. He's, he's yeah, following through right. and helping. Yeah, that, and that that's a, a fascinating thing that that really you're 100% correct. This is where a lot of of our hero uh, archetypes fall fall down. It's it's all action, it's all boom, and then there's nothing afterwards. So you're showing not just the action, the the, the but you're going into all the everything that comes afterwards. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. I think that you have to have heart. Yes. Yeah. In whatever you write, there has to be heart. Whether it's prose writing or comic book writing, you can get people in to read your writing, but they stay if it has heart. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one, that's one of the big things that we talk about quite often is is the heart and the and and the passion behind it. It has to be there. You know, if you're just if you're just throwing things against the wall. The readers know. <laughs> the readers know. Yeah. So, uh, now the the previews we've gotten so far were very action oriented. Um, you know, very epic looking. You know, him swinging on the rope with the with a kid in 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 hand and stuff. Uh, is that really uh, a big part of the book too? What comes after and how he deals with the things he has to see doing this work? Definitely. Um, he's haunted and driven by the uh, memories of his sister who was trafficked and pimped out in Chicago. And he was off in the war and was unable to help at that point. And so now he's dealing with that memory and he's wrestling with it. It's the one person he was unable to save. Yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. Talk to me a little bit about the the artwork that we're seeing. This is absolutely gorgeous artwork. Yeah. Uh, who is your artist on this? My artist is uh, a British artist. He's very uh, well respected and has a lot of background. His name is John Howard, and he does everything. We keep it in black and white to keep the cost down. Um, and uh, John Howard is the artist. I've got a letterer. Her name is Nikki Sherman. She's awesome, and and I just do the scripting. Nice. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Rick. I was shocked uh, when I saw the artwork. <laughs> um, the artwork, like Rick said, is is 
It's second to none. Um, it goes really well. Uh, we just had some example pages. Um, Jamie and I spoke in the past. I know this is under progress. How long is this graph? It's a graphic novel. How long is it going to be? It's going to be 50 pages, and it's going to be published with uh, Marcosia Comics, Marcosia Enterprises. I've already pre-sold the graphic novel to them. They were very interested in it. Yeah. Um, I was uh, introduced to Harry Marcos, the the uh, publisher, by a friend, and I threw the concept at him and gave him some samples, and he loved it. So we he wrote a contract and we signed it, and so it's going to be probably about another year uh, before it's actually going to be on the market. Oh, good! Wow, getting you're ahead. Of, you're ahead of it, aren't you? You're you're getting the word out now. So, <laughs> I think it's important to get some buzz. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Get get some uh, get some word out uh, behind this. So, it, you've worked on a lot of other projects as well. Uh, talk. It, what's what's the major difference between this project and some of your old some of your other writing? Well, I'm a prose writer. I'm an award-winning prose writer as well. I write mainly in the pulp uh, arena, and I've got some books, uh, short novellas based in a city called Golgotha, uh, and those are coming out. Uh, those are out and, and are continuing to come out um, uh, by my publisher, which is Lucky Comics. And I've also got uh, some miniseries comic books that I'm working for uh, uh, with Lucky Comics. The Flame, which is out right now, uh, and Red Spectre, which will be out hopefully before the year ends. Um, but the difference is, is prose writing is very detailed and it's... Uh, you're telling the entire story with script writing you're telling an artist this is what i need to see mm -hmm. and this is what's going on in the scene and here's the dialogue and you give them instructions it's more like a blueprint right uh but prose writing is a little bit more in depth but i really enjoy doing both when when you're writing the comics um and i always ask people this was there any time where what you wrote wasn't reflected in the artwork and had to be changed or were there times where it didn't reflect but you thought wait a minute that's a good idea to go in or has it always been easy smooth sailing for me it's always been easy when you work with professionals uh, who take their craft seriously they study that script right. and they try to figure it out exactly what you want if they have any questions, a lot of times they'll let you know. Right. But personally, I haven't had any problems. Sometimes there's some differences, but right. I always look at it as uh, sometimes that's just part of, of doing it. And if, if it's not perfect, that's okay. Let's get it as close as we can get it and keep it moving. It, it makes a lot of sense there. It sounds to me like you're already giving the, the artist the information they need for the story already. Um, but the flame fascinated me. You know, this one, we got some examples, a little bit of the story. The flame is a Golden Age character created by uh, Will Eisner and Lou Fine. Yeah. Um, 
I've never read those stories. I've seen covers and examples. And um, I enjoyed what you wrote. Now, you brought it up to modern times. What I liked was he hasn't aged. And that, that seems to me like a theme in it. Uh, what can you tell us? How did you approach this character and what did you change? Because you did add some things and vary it. Yeah, my publisher, John Helmer, wanted, he gave me that assignment. He wanted the flame brought to modern times and a modern story told out of it. So what we decided to do was to say that the sacred flame that was within him actually kept him young. Hmm. And and uh, not exactly immortal, but he just doesn't age. So uh, that's where I started the story. Boom, right in this guy's living room while he's uh, uh, having a drink and reminiscing his what his career has been like. He's been retired for some time, but somebody, something brings him back out of retirement. <laughs> Perhaps it's an old enemy. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> uh, what what was the flame? Can you tell us? Because, like I said, I've seen it, but I'm not real familiar. Could you tell us backstory? I sure can. The flame was by Will Eisner, who you both know. Yes. Um, he was a great writer, and I actually got a kudo from uh, David Michelini uh, mm. for writing this story, <laughs> uh, which blew me away. Uh, he's uh, kind of a friend of mine mm. online. And uh, he put a blurb on, on the comic for me, which was amazing. Uh, he, he's an amazing guy, uh, one of my mentors. Uh, but uh, uh, the Flame uh, is kind of one of those characters who studied in a sacred martial arts cult and earned his powers of teleportation and control of Flame. As well of his, as well as his martial skills, and he's been fighting the uh, mob and street level crime uh, ever since. But he's also been fighting his one nemesis, the octopus. <laughs> nice. Talk to me for a minute about Golgotha. Now, this is this is noir based crime mystery stories yes and so this is all based in one city that you're writing in yeah I've created the city of Golgotha which is supposed to uh, uh, be in the fictitious area of of Wisconsin and uh, basically uh, the background is is apostate monks came from France started a colony, killed some of the locals, and began a city called Golgotha. And this is in the 1800s. And now we're in modern day. It's a creepy kind of a place with French overtones. Uh, and basically the main character is a psychic detective known as John Normandy. And John, in the first story, is enlisted to find the mayor's daughter who has disappeared somewhere in the catacombs of Golgotha. And what's happened is John is a TV psychic. And nobody believes that his powers are real, but they are. 
It's just he's full of schlock and doing it for the money. But now the mayor says, if you don't find my daughter, I'm going to expose you for the fraud that you are. So he's pulled into this plot to find the mayor's daughter. And, and all sorts of stuff comes into play. Nice. So you uh, you looked at like the historical parts of the, the Golgotha uh, and, and added them into this book with like the church, the catacomb, things like this. Uh, with the French yes. and everything. Definitely. And uh, uh, there's, writer that there's, yeah, there's witchcraft involved, the supernaturals involved. Um, if a city if a city existed like this, it would be like in the X Files, where basically you'd have a monster of the week in every story. And I've set it up so that other writers can write their own characters hmm. inside of my universe so it's a shared universe and I've got like six or seven writers contributing to Golgotha as we speak nice. that makes it richer nice huh. give, give a bit, nice little sandbox for everybody to play in I dig that yeah that is really cool now, I saw on there you have three novels so far with Golgotha am I correct yeah I've written one uh, um, Nancy Hansen's written one okay. and uh, Teal James Glenn has written one they're both award winners hmm. and they're excellent pulp writers uh, I've got uh, uh, Lee Houston Jr. who we're getting ready to publish uh, Wayne Carey who's getting who's on board um we also have Bobby Nash, who uh, is a widely published guy, and he's on board as well. So well, my hope is that we can put it all into one big volume and sell it that way as well. So I'm going to be talking to my publisher about that and see what his uh, feeling is on that. Right now, uh, each story is $2.99, and you can buy it at LuckyComics.com. Yeah, but so that you set them up like you mentioned pulp comics, but it's like it's like the pulp novels before. It's it's that's really interesting. Definitely. Uh, what's it like to open your world up to other writers? I mean, when you see that, does it you're thinking, "Well, I wish I would have thought of that," or? Well, oh I mean, yeah, definitely. They bring a different idea or slant to yeah. my world. And what they do is you'll find that if you give people a few little terms to create in, right. they will if you let them go and you, you know, you don't uh, harness them, you know, let them go, let, let them create. I've actually got a map of Golgotha with street names, and different areas and stuff like that that I gave to them. They use that and they add to it. And uh, the, the, the world could be a role playing novel right. uh, module because there's so much information in it. Now you're talking my language. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking that as you're saying it. That's fantastic. I love world building. I well, love building. That's, awesome. That's an art because I've seen um, in the 80s there was books like uh, American Flag by Howard Chaykin and then he started passing. Yeah, it's one of my very favorite comics. But as time went on he started passing it off to other creators and I just didn't have it wasn't the same 
interest is when Howard Chicken did it. Um, and he got a little irritated about that. You know, he finally dropped the comic after a while. But there's some other ones. ElfQuest from the, the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, they were trying to do that with other creators. It, it never seemed to work. There was a lot of series where the original creators, it was something special. And it, it just didn't translate on down. But yet, mainstream comics, everything created by Jack Kirby who is the king of American comics, but yet other people do all that work and it, it carries on. And that was the thing I always wondered about was why is it that some some things people do are able to Hellboy. You know, I know Mike Mignola's involved with it, but there's a lot of other creators coming and picking it up and it's still successful. But you kind of answered the question for me was you have some ideas, but it's not rigid. They can come in and do what they want to do, play in your sandbox. Is Has anybody written anything in that series that you thought, I'm going to work off of that now? I mean, have they given you an idea yeah. that you want to build off of? Yeah, we supply the stories to each creator. So it's like if you want to use a witch from my story and put it yeah. in yours, she's up for grabs. Or there's a Nancy Hansen has an actual shop uh, where the witches gather and they sell their wares for the <laughs> witches or whatever. And they are in other people's stories. And a uniting thread is John Normandy. Uh, John is in each book at least a cameo. He doesn't have to be the main character, but he's a uniting thread in each book. And I'm actually the line editor. So there's some oversight there. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, you got to buy it. Can I <laughs> yeah. sent you a copy. Yeah, get yeah. something to check out. Um, now, I'm curious about something. With Going back to the Liberator for a minute. Um, one thing that I noticed with the character design, um, he uh, being a government agent, he doesn't have... Uh, the trope of any kind of a logo design to him and everything was that a conscious decision or was that more of a realism for the work being done in the book that's about both uh, I, he doesn't want to be pegged with any known entity uh, this is a black operation what they call red on red um, conflict which means you take on the villains right in front of you. You take care of it. You set up these elaborate operations and you take them down. Um, but yeah, he doesn't want to be associated. The public doesn't really want to know. But in the streets, the people are calling him the Liberator. And it's graffitied here and there in the comic. Hmm. And that's what the people call him. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he doesn't want to be associated with anything. He wants to come and go like a shadow. Hmm. Makes sense. That's kind of how real life works anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. And, you know, the preview pages we've gotten, it is very realistic in, yeah. in, in the look. And, you know, there's really not a lot of over-the-top shenanigans uh, that look like they're happening in this book. It's a very grounded book. Um, is And it, that that's also a conscious decision to make it a more grounded 
to deal with the serious subject matter. Definitely. It's a fantasy story. Uh, but I want to use a certain amount of realism. Obviously, certain things are never going to happen. One guy is never going to go in without a team. Yeah. Uh, that, would, that would never happen. But that's what's going to happen in this comic. Uh, because that's what I say. It's that that's the focus. Uh, but as close to realism as I can get, including the types of weapons he uses and armament, I've got that on good authority. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm looking at the pages, and yeah, it it the detail that your artist gives as far as his loadout, his weaponry, everything, it's very spot on. Um, knowing some of these operators over the years, I'm looking at it going, uh, I can see this guy. I, I think I've met this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of fun, and if it can raise awareness, then I'm all for it. Mm. Yeah. Do, you, yeah, do you have plans to continue this on after it's finished? I mean, is there other stories with this, or is this just a finite piece? There are always more stories to tell. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's yeah. great. I like mm-hmm. that answer. <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll see. Uh, in all fairness, um, this, this graphic novel's costing me a lot of money out of pocket for the art to be honest yeah. John's a professional uh, he's a he's a great great artist and I'm not his only client so it, it, you know in the future if the sales are right the money's right and uh, the publisher wants to do another one that sort of thing if it all lines up correctly then yes right. uh, if not then uh, well, we'll move on to other things Right, well, and that's how it should be. It's really nice. I was just curious about it. If you, if there was the opportunity, would there be more stories? Or is this one where, you know, because I've read that sometimes. Somebody comes up with something, it's successful, and people like it, want more. And I says, no, this is, this is it. I've said this, and I want to move on. Yeah, I have plenty of uh, creative space for uh, The Liberator. Yeah. Uh, he, he's not going to be far from my mind. <clears throat> well, when you mention publisher, uh, are we going to be seeing this in local comic book shops, bookstores? <clears throat> where where is it going to be sold once it's all done? It's going to be distributed as far as wide as Marcosia, who I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're a huge publisher in England. Mm. Uh, but I'm hoping that it will be in comic book stores. If not, it will definitely be sold uh, on drive through comics in the Marcosia website. Yeah, you can order it. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I'm not familiar with them. Of course, you know, I'm from you should go cool. check them out. Oh, we have. Check them out. Oh, we sent the links. We started checking everything out, but uh, I didn't know about it until you told us about it. Uh, Lucky Comics were the same. Uh, there, there's so many... So many people come on and tell us about a comic publisher that I was never aware of. There's a lot of it. Um, you know, when you go to a comic store, it's it's more than it used to be, but it's still a couple of handfuls of publishers. What, there's about five that the stores carry all the time, and then once in a while you pick up something. Oh, I've never heard of them, you know. So, 
this well, one. distributing's hard. Costs yeah. a lot of money. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when you mention in the Liberator, like I said, I'm going back to this. When he sets people up with uh, government agencies to help them out, are you putting that in the story? Actual government agencies, or are you just alluding to them? I mean, if somebody read yeah. this, would they be aware of what was available to them in real I'm life? I'm going to make that information available to them at the end of yeah. the graphic novel uh, as kind of a epilogue. Yeah. Saying if you're having trouble with this, you know, you can call this national hotline, da 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 da. But the ones I'm going to be using in the story are going to be fictitious. Right, okay, that's that actually makes a lot of sense. But there will be information at the end for people. It's kind of good to get that out there. Nice. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah. I mean, I want to help if All I right. can. Yeah, well, and, and unfortunately, so many people don't know about all the different no. help that is out there. Um, something I see on a unfortunately regular basis is people with need of assistance, and they have no idea where to even turn to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, um, my work has me on the road uh, in my area. Uh, all day long, and I actually carry a sheet, a printout that I can give to different people uh, that I meet that are in need to say, hey, here's a food kitchen here, here's a shelter here, you know. Uh, so yeah, you're right. A lot of people don't know about all the help that's out there, so this having that list at the end of the book would be a great thing for people. Yes. I absolutely applaud that. Thank you. If uh, if uh, we could change the culture, we could we could help more people. Um, so let's let's see what we can do with it. You know, that's everything you've talked about. That seems to be your overall theory: is changing the culture, putting it in people's minds quietly, and doing that. I I take my hat off to that. Thank you. You're like the I've had a teeth. lot. <laughs> I've had a lot of adversity in the last few years. Uh, I am handicapped uh, and an amputee, and uh, writing stories about adversity and people under those constraints who rise to the top is what I'm about, because uh, that's what I've had to do. I've had to come back from the dead, basically, and uh, I've done it successfully, and I'm writing again, and frankly, my life is excellent. And I'd love that for other people. Yeah. Um, Jamie came a while back, and we've been talking. Uh, since then, he and I have become friends, and I've seen his journey. You know, everything you said, it's it's been amazing. It's been hard, but everything you're talking about, I've seen. Um, when you mentioned before, nothing but heart. Uh, everything I've seen you do, it's been selfless. It hasn't been easy, but you kept going on. Uh, again, it's it's something. It's it's an honor to have you on the show and talk to you about this. Oh, thank you. But um, it, life life is tough. Yeah. You know, no doubt about it. Not just my life. Everybody's life. Right. It's tough. It's not easy. But everyone has the tools to make it okay. Make their lives what they want it to be and to get to where they need to go. Sometimes they need a hand, sometimes they don't. You know, but you just gotta keep trying. Right. No matter what, you never you never give up. You know, I've seen people, uh, 
when I was in the rehab hospital, rehabbing my physical injuries, you know, I've seen people who, who basically uh, arms didn't work, legs didn't work. The only thing they could do was move their head, and they were still doing exercises Good. to the best of their ability, never quitting, showed up every day, you know, in the PT room with me or near me, doing the best they can and encouraging me, yeah. who had better, you know, faculties. So I've seen it, and and it can be done. You just have to want it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's yeah. it's easy to give up. I mean, people even without diversities do that. I see that, but I also see there's something inside people that just want to survive. You have an organism in you that's just doing it, and it comes out. Um, you just keep moving, which is what you've done. Um, now, did you, before all this happened, you're writing a lot. Have you always written? Is this something you've yes. always done? I've always written, but I was disabled a few years ago, which allowed me uh, to not have to work anymore. And so since I'm not working, I'm writing. Uh, that's my full-time job now. Yeah. Uh, write from home and uh, do a little light housekeeping and uh, light cooking for the family and uh, works out pretty good. Right. Now, as I mentioned, we're friends. One time you'd mentioned on that that when you were four years old, you were writing songs and stories, um, which amazes me. When I was nine, I kind of had a panic because I started thinking, my cousin had said, there's not really any pretty girls anymore. You know, we liked older girls, but the girls our age, we just thought were kind of homely. It's just how people think. And he put this in my head, and I'm kind of panicking. And at one point, I thought, you know, we're going to be in trouble when we grow up because nobody's making things, you know, my age. Nobody's writing songs or telling stories or drawing uh, with any ability. So I was in the hallway of our house, and I thought, I need to start doing it. So I tried to write a song, and I think it lasted about two minutes. It had no rhythm, had no melody, had no point, and I gave up. And I was nine. But at four years old, you were finding success in this and never stopped. <laughs> well, I don't know if I was finding success. I wrote lots of songs and lots of little stories that I shared with my parents and my sister and stuff yeah. like that. And then I went away from it and picked it back up. In my teenage years, I started writing stories again and showing little blurbs to my friends and things like that, but I never took it very seriously until much later in life. Uh, and then suddenly I said, you know, I, I can do this. Yeah. This is achievable. And then success builds upon success. And uh, sometimes you're, you're able to uh, find some little nugget that spurs you on to the next thing. Um, but you got to stay at it and you got to have thick skin, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm in a, uh, a writing group, and we critique each other, and uh, we all have to be pretty, pretty thick-skinned because some days the stuff you bring is not as good as others. Right. And uh, these guys are they're they're razor sharp when it comes to their feedback, and uh, a lot of the stuff I've written's gone through this group. But you need that. You need yeah. people to tell you what's good and what's not good. Yeah. Yeah, because you can pass it to friends and family, and they're like, "Oh, it's great! Yeah. You're so wonderful!" Yeah, and, yeah it's because they love you, and they don't want to be like, "Ah, you need to fix this or that," you know. 
Getting a, uh, is this a, a Facebook group that you're involved with? It's a private Facebook group yeah. uh, of people that I've established that I uh, believe in their opinion. Uh, I know they're not out to harm each other. Yeah. They're out to, to, to make each other better. And that's what I do with my critiques. Is how, do, how do I make this person a better writer? Right. What can I do? What can I tell them? Uh, and yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a secret group. And uh, by a little secret cabal. <laughs> and uh, we tell each other, you know, we help each other with advice, but we also tell each other about publishers and who's doing what. And did you hear that this guy's got coming, something coming out with this publisher and, you know, stuff like that. A little bit of gossip never hurt. Right. Yeah. Well, it makes it fun. We're finding more and more creators are being involved with it. You know, um, I, I fall into the, into the camp of, of despising Facebook, even though I use it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm finding more and more creators keep talking about these little hidden secret Facebook groups that they're, that they've got where you guys can all talk back and forth and, and and share secrets and critique each other. So I think that's fantastic, and that's that's really a wonderful place. That's what social media was supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, that's how we use it. When I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital for six months, and there were days when we met online, and I was because they had amputated my leg and amputated my toes on the other foot. Um, I was so medicated that I was online with them and making absolutely no sense. And they let me stay online. They just kept talking over me and they, they showed me love hmm. and kindness anyway, even though, you know, I was just basically babbling, you know what I mean? But they were there to support me uh, emotionally uh, as well. And you don't get that a lot of times on Facebook. So this, mm. if you can find a group like that, if you're a creator, I think it's a great place to be. It's a lot of trust. You got a lot of trust in the group. Yeah, definitely um, a lot of trust. Now, how how did you um after you started writing the stuff? How did you get it out there? How did you get the attention of publishers and, and put these projects together? Because a lot of people, especially if you like comics. Everybody has a story in their head or an idea in their head, but it usually stays that way. Some of them will, you know, put something together, but it's rare for somebody to actually find an outlet to get published. How 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 did that happen with you? Oh, it's it's a wild ride okay. to be honest with you. Uh, I made friends and networked through Facebook. Um, I, I reached out to publishers, even though you're not supposed to. Uh, they always tell you, never never bug a comic book publisher. Never just talk to them and show them your stuff because they only take stuff through this medium or whatever. I think that's all a bunch of baloney. Uh, Todd McFarlane never did that. He used to uh, fax his pages in to Marvel before he was ever discovered. And even though you're not supposed to do stuff like that, you know what, if they're an editor and they're there, then they're worth talking to. And I've talked to a lot of them that actually cut me off and didn't want to talk to me. And then I've also talked to editors and publishers who were nice and kind and gave me advice and told me where to tighten it up and stuff like that. 
so never be afraid to try something. Um, Facebook was actually the way I started breaking in, and I did it by networking. I talked to writers, I talked to editors, I talked to publishers, I talked to artists. I have artists approach me that I can't work with because I can't pay them. Hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but it is a smaller world than people realize. And, um, you know, if you just blindly send your submissions in with no real follow-up, you really won't get anywhere uh, because they tell you to do that, but most companies don't even look at them. You know, I mean, you have got to make a personal contact of some sort and find a way to get your stuff in their email for them to look at. If you do that, you stand a much better chance. They may not take you on that particular thing, but I know like uh, John Helmer of Lucky Comics, Mm -hmm. he knew of me because I had approached him and said, hey, do you need anybody to do some backup work for you? I'm, I'm available. Here's what I've done in the past. And he said, no, he didn't need my help. But we were friends on Facebook, and he was looking at my journey on Facebook as well. And eventually he said, you know, I'm going to give this guy a shot. He can do something for me that I need done. And he did. And uh, basically, uh, I pitched my Golgotha line to him after I started doing some backup stories and uh, he said you know what this guy's full of great ideas let's let's try this out and uh, so I've gotten to uh, seal up you know my position within Lucky Comics and use that as a reference so I went from Lucky Comics and I was still uh, pitching Marcosia and Marcosia says well have you ever done anything yeah not only am I uh working on the, the Liberator graphic novel uh, that's mine mm-hmm. uh, I've done stuff for Lucky Comics and when the next one comes around I'll say not only have I done stuff for Lucky Comics I've done it for Marcosio and Enterprises one of the biggest publishers in Great Britain mm-hmm. you know what I mean so basically each little success builds on, it, on itself and right. uh, you've got to be able to put yourself in a headspace that if somebody tells you no, that's okay. You'll put somebody else. Right. That's important. Um, now, the one thing you sent to us we haven't talked about, it's been mentioned, the Red Spectre. What can you tell us about that? I can't tell you a lot because it's still being reviewed and edited. Okay. And we're still looking for a, a team to put together on that. But I will tell you this. The Red Spectre is a character who um, is resurrected or given his powers every generation. So he's a generational character who started in the 1700s during the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has a few magic weapons that help him fight occultists uh, in that day and age but I can't tell you much more than that I get you Bob, is this your creation or is this uh, an older character like the flame this is my char- character oh. that, I, that I created uh, I got an artist to do 
the actual original character piece, uh, the pinup, and I threw that at uh, John Helmer and said, hey, I want to do this. He's like, well, you know, write me a proposal. Wrote the proposal, he accepted it. Wrote the first script, he accepted it. And before I write the second script uh, for the miniseries, we still need to find that right artist to get involved in it. And uh, once we have that, we'll do that, and then eventually the the, uh, first issue will come out. Nice, but this would be through the publisher. This wouldn't be you having to pay out of your pocket. Am I correct? No, this would be through the publisher, yeah, which is the yeah. way to do it if you can. Well, yeah, I understand. Saying that, though, when you're doing the, the Liberator, you have control. It's your character, and you have the control. Maybe, maybe not an ideal situation, but it's yours, you know? My, my wife, who's been very patient and supportive of my uh, writing and my profession, uh, gave me the green light to spend some money on art uh, right. for the Liberator and uh, it's been it's been going great but if she hadn't given me the, the green light it probably would, would still be in, in my mind <laughs> you know what you just mentioned is something that I it's always in my mind I was at a martial arts seminar in California and this guy was going over these choking techniques and his son was his son was his partner it was it was rough and every once in a while some of his students would say mama said no choking and he'd stop (laughs) and at one point i mean it was it was rough it was all i have to say the guy was great but it's kind of rough bar fighting techniques it was scary and um cool at one part i like it (laughs) and um well i was kind of afraid he might grab me out of the audience and do it to me so but he said um at one point, he stopped and he looked at everybody. Of course, except for me, everybody was bald-headed with a little alternate universe beard covered in tattoos, you know. And He said, guys, you might think you're tough, but your wife can keep you from training. And everybody stood there, and they, they first they're kind of like, nah, and they, yeah. I never forgot that. So basically what, what Jamie's saying, you're only as strong as is when your wife supports you you know and and you can go it's a team it's a team effort and if one part of the team doesn't agree to it um it's never gonna i'm sure there's somebody that went against the team and it turned out okay but that's very rare (laughs) so so um tell your wife thank you for supporting that and giving you that um that's that's actually a big um that's that's a big move so well, she's a she's a great supporter. She's right, awesome. Yeah, as I said, I, I follow your journey, and I could see that. Uh, I mean, one, you've got the spirit, but um, you're only as strong as the people around you, and it, it seems like you've got a lot of that. Um, now all the projects you got, I'm I'm convinced that you got a lot more stuff in your head that you want to do. Definitely. I've got a lot of ideas. Uh, For me, it's about finding the venue to put it out. Like I said, I'll talk to promoters. I'll talk to editors. I'll talk to whoever first sometimes before I even have something written and see if they're interested in it. 
And sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. Right. Uh, You've got to try to make those contacts. Without those contacts, just blindly submitting stuff, it's not going to take you very far. You know, I mean, it's going to be really tough. So for me, it's I look at I look at publishing houses, I look at small publishers, I look at overseas publishers, I look at whoever I think is going to help me in my journey, and I write them, I email them, uh, and I try to establish something with them. Sometimes they don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> Sometimes they'll be like, well, where's your story? Well, it's not written. Well, come back when you've got something written. And that happens too. Yeah. And, you know, that's just part of it. But you got to be willing to put yourself out there. Right. Uh, well, that's honestly what happened with us is you, you approached us uh, very early on. Uh, it, what, I think, was it for this project? Yes. Yeah, for the yeah. Liberator. Yeah, and we didn't have anything to, to, to see visuals or anything like that. And we're kind of visual media, even though it's, yeah. you know, podcasting. Uh, so, but you came back, and man, you came back strong yeah. on us too. <laughs> I mean, you, you're like, you want to see something? Here you go. Here's here's something to see. And yeah, it's it's an impress impressive amount of work, and I can't wait to see when it's done. I really can't. Thank you. Well, what you guys you? have given me a great opportunity to come onto your show, and uh, I need more of that. And I know that like uh, people are like, why are you? Why are you? Uh, promoting so early I said because I want to have uh, a legion of people ready to buy that book when it comes out yeah. I want them to say it's finally out now let's go get the Liberator you know that's what I want and uh, uh, hopefully you know I've got a little bitty Facebook group dedicated to it it's got about 250 people nice. uh, and uh, I, I want those people to go right out and buy it you know when I have something out I go down my list of friends and I, I send a pitch to every single one of them. And uh, when my first Golgotha story came out, it had about 45 sales uh, right off the bat. For a little guy like me, that ain't bad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well. So for everybody who wants to follow the journey and see and keep track and is ready to buy it when it's out where where should everybody go for that you can contact me jamie ramos on facebook or you can uh join my uh liberator facebook group it's a a public group uh or you can contact uh, john helmer at lucky comics or you can email me at jamie ramos 5150 at yahoo.com nice awesome excellent alright if anybody out there likes to draw we're always looking for fake comic book covers to use on the Facebook page and the Facebook group to announce a new episode we can't pay you for it because we have no money but it'd be yours to own and if you would allow us to we'll add it to the cover gallery of the blog I always get people say, well, you may not like this, I don't draw very well. Everybody feels that way, but be like Jamie, get it out there, be strong, put it. I, I've loved everyone I've gotten, and we get a lot of feedback on that. Uh, we usually have a music break on the show, except when we have a guest like tonight. Uh, if you're any kind of musician, singer, recording artist, performance artist, 
Um, I'm, as a joke, I say mime, but I'm open to that. As long as you can find a way to make an MP3, uh, you can send it through the compact contact page, and we'll also add it to the music page of the blog. We also have a t-shirt on the sidebar of the blog. Uh, I just sold one, and it was really thrilling. Uh, it's not to make us money, it's just to help us uh, with the hosting fees, because, again, I said we have no money. And that's all I got, Rook. Everybody, just go to bunchofdorks.com, click on that Cyclops. You're going to get to see examples of everything we talked about on the show, some links for you to be able to find everything as well. Until next time... Read... More... Comics! You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops. Oh. Your Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.